0: Cheer on the athletes on the Olympic big screen. Walk through the 12 cultural exhibitions. Eat all day at the food festival. Sit in the real Jamaican garden. Use the Kids Zone and Fresh. Dance, concert, and socials. Look out for red tag evening events. Stratford, London comes alive July 27 to August 12th. Visit festivaljamaica2012.com <laughs> This is the story of how one small island conquered the world. Jamaican potpour. <laughs> and a
2: fair star, the Saffa Pound. Usain Bolt is also it out well.
3: Beat. Here they come In down the track. Low. Usain Bolt!
0: It's a story of music, sport and style. How its rhythms, athletes and language went global. Pull up, pull up! This is how Jamaica conquered the world. That's <laughs> <laughs> My name is Michael Riley, uh, spelled M-Y-K. A E L L. My name
4: is Martina Clark. I live in Brooklyn, New York.
3: My name is Gabrielle Friesen. I'm a percussionist and I live in Rehovot, uh, Israel. My name is Lorna Ashton Scott. I live in the southeast town called Amersham. My name is Lynn
0: O'Brien. I'm living in Sheffield, in England. My name is Maaika from Amsterdam, from the Netherlands. I work as receptionist at the Amsterdam Arena and I
2: I'm a singer. So I'm I live in Sydney, Australia. My name is Cleveland Brownie. I'm better known as is one
3: half of the musical and production duo Keely and Cleveland. My name is Headley Westerfield. I live in Sunrise, Florida. I am Ricardo
2: Swarm, reggae recording artist, and I live in Jamaica. And this interview is conducted live from Jamaica. Imagine this, it's 1968, Bob Marley's playing at a club called the Bamboo Club. The guy that owned it was an English guy named Tony Bullamore and he was married to a West Indian woman who was a friend of my mother's. My mother was a, a very resourceful woman. She was a psychiatric nurse and she was able to take patients to various artistic events to, you know, give them a little bit of joy and enlightenment. So then all I had to do as a a, a little 10 year old was like push a wheelchair in and you get primo seats. So then I thought, well, if I could do that, maybe I could get into the bamboo club. I had to be snuck in early, found a little couch, you know, and there I sat. And I kind of had to keep out of sight as much as possible because I didn't want to get the club owner in trouble. But then this music started. It, it had a very big impression on this little kid, you know? And I, I, and of course, I had no idea how big this was gonna get. I was just excited that I was able to sneak into a club to see this guy that I'd heard about. And I tried to get into other things before, but somehow they, they let me get away with this one.
3: Uh, israel is a very diverse place you get exposed pretty much to everything. So I was 13, I was listening to Bob Marley and and death metal. I arrived to Bob in my 20s. I certainly don't recall listening to Bob Marley a lot when he was alive.
4: The first time I heard reggae, I must have been 10 years old or something. My sisters and my brother all went to school in Santa Cruz, California. There was a lot of influence of reggae there. And I distinctly recall one time being in a cafe called The Catalyst. And it was the afternoon, and we were told that we had to leave because an important reggae star was coming with his family and his entourage and band, and they were going to host them for dinner before a show. And it was only probably 20 years later that I realized that that was Bob Marley. But it stuck in my mind, and somehow the uh, the reggae got into my blood, and I've loved it ever since. I was a small girl. There
2: was a Tasty talent contest. Um, Tasty is a party company in Jamaica. So I was called in to play on the recording. And um, I didn't know Bob Marley was sleeping upstairs at Island House on Hope Road. After the session finished, he came downstairs and said, Oh, he like the vibe and the music sounded great and think. The entire band was prepared to leave the studio at that time. So, and he said, Hey, I could go back into the studio. And we recorded. We come from Trench Town. But at the time, I was really kind of scared. This man, who to me was an icon, you know, and I was just a kid in my teens, thought that he would have sort of been. Um, yeah, aggressive us, any mistake. But he was quite accommodative about well, knowing that uh, we are youngsters. Really nice, and I learned a lot from him.
3: When Bob Marley was touring Rastaman Vibration, we spent a couple of months getting Press and printing up posters and there's a lot of work before the concert and so the day of the concert comes I'm just so keen to finally see Bob Marley in the Waylight vibe. And my boss comes up to me and he says you're not going to be able to go to the show. Okay what's the job? The band is going to be arriving with tapes of the tour. They want you to take those tapes and take them back in the States and put them in the hands of Chris Blackwell. Chris Blackwell is my hero. He's the guy who started Island Records. So the band shows up and they call us to come and get the tape. We go into the dressing room and you could not see across the dressing room from the gun smoke. It was just white. And this big spliff is going around the room. It was bigger than a baseball bat, wrapped up in newspaper. They handed it to me and I thought, you know, I've been smoking for years. And I took one toke on it and started hacking a lung up. Bob thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever seen, and he started laughing, and he giggles like a little girl when he's laughing. And he put his arm around me and laughed and laughed and laughed. And then eventually I got the tapes and had to rush to the airport and, and get the tapes to New York. Oh, I think people have a very wrong idea
1: of, of Bob. Yes, he smoked a lot of herb, as they call it, in, in Jamaica, but he was also incredibly hardworking. And in one way, he's a very conservative role model because he shows that you have to work very, very, very hard to be successful.
0: There was a, this challenge. The challenge was to find the best band in Britain to tour with Bob Marley. It was going to be his first European tour. We knew that the odds were stacked against us because the big bands were in London. And they were also signed to Island Records. We were not signed. Our single Klukat's clan had just been banned on Radio One. They wouldn't play because it would incite violence. We supported Burning Spear, I think, at the Rainbow. We won the competition. We got the tour with Bob Marley. Out of that we got the deal. And when we asked Mr. Bob Marley, Bob, <coughs> why did you go for Steel Pulse? He went, you don't
3: sound like me.
1: And I think the reason and the way that the original Whalers split up, which is was him, Peter Tosh, and Bunny Livingston, is because the other two weren't so ambitious. He worked incredibly hard to get to where, where he went to. In some ways, you know, as a Rastafarian, you're not meant to be interested in politics. And he would say, I'm not for the right, I'm not for the left, I'm for the straight way forward, you know, the Rasta way, not the political way. And the, but of course, you can't live in any country without becoming in some way involved in politics. And particularly in Jamaica, where... He became so important to the politicians because if he said, I'm going to vote this way, then everyone would follow him. And the politicians tried to use him for their own end. Why Bob ended up being shot, somebody tried to assassinate him. And it was because of his involvement with one political party and the other political party wanted to take revenge. But Bob's message was always a message of peace. And one of the most moving parts of the story is when you see Bob on stage and he's lost in a kind of trance. He's like a religious spiritual shaman or something. He holds up the hands of the two leaders of the two parties and it's very, very moving. He's a man who's bringing peace to the world.
3: Bob Marley was like the grooviest thing I have ever heard and infectious. I always would like to say that Bob Marley saved my life because i can't imagine myself making the right decisions without those words you know right there in front of me and i feel like reggae music is not just conscious it it makes you conscious
0: I got to secondary school of learning about slavery and had absolutely nothing to do with you and your world. It all happened hundreds of years ago until I listened to Bob Marley. And suddenly all that I was learning came alive and became real. A kind of wanting to, to feel that process as well.
2: Bob Marley in Germany was a phenomenon. If people had told me when I was back in Bristol that a whole bunch of Germans would be going crazy for this black man from from Jamaica, I would have said, yeah, right. His charisma and his power on stage was second to none, and it was amazing. The the music had a, a hypnotism that caught everybody off guard. The Germans absolutely loved it. The Dutch absolutely loved it.
0: Three or four years ago, the Ajax played a practicing match um, in Cardiff. There were just a few supporters from Ajax there, around three or four hundred. It was a really good match, it was a really, really good atmosphere. During the break, the song from Bob Marley was here uh, in the stadium, and everybody was really excited about the song. Atmosphere was getting better and better. There became a film on YouTube about those really good supporters. A few months after that incident, also the song of Bob Marley was inside the Amsterdam arena during the break, and everybody was really excited about it. So this really small thing became really big, because now everybody sings it, because it has a good uh, memory in Cardiff, and every match they sing it. So it became the unofficial flat song.
2: I actually saw Bob Marley's last show so that was um 80 and um after that show he left and he went to to dr Issel's in bavaria and and he passed away there
3: i remember when he died because it was it was a year before a year after john men's death i got the uh, greatest hits album
1: he was not a hypocrite. And I think so many of our pop stars, our rock musicians are hi- hypocrites. You know, they talk about big ideals or whatever in their songs, but then they live the life of the multi-millionaire and they hide their money from the tax man. And Bob Marley wasn't like that. He did really practice what he preached. He lived very simply. You know, he never had anything but a single bed in his room.
4: Bob Marley's words and the whole theme of the music has translated into a movement that continues far beyond his death 30 years ago. Bob Marley still lives on and that keeps us fighting for for our rights, standing up and fighting for our rights.
2: Where do I think reggae would be as a global music without Bob Marley? Nowhere, because you have to have that one individual who goes out and pioneers and discovers and explores and exploits the music, you know, it known that one person or that one group of people. So without Mali is the chosen person, and so I'm grateful. We, you can't uh, all have 10, 15, 20 people doing. You have to have this one individual who does it, and then everybody else comes in and do their part in the, the, the whole landscape of making the music popular.
3: Yeah, I also think he's non-threatening. I think, um, obviously, the advent of dance hall and artists like Buju Banton, Arm um, Sizzler, they're not as accessible for a, a Western audience, but Bob just comes across in, in a more gentle manner. He might have the same sentiments, and you know, he does, but it's just more accessible, and I think that's why he's endured.
5: Guarantee you you cannot spend a day in London without hearing at least one Bob Marley song or seeing one Bob Marley piece of memorabilia, you know, one love on a towel or all these rastas walking around, people with dreadlocks, that all comes from Bob Marley. You go to any part of the globe and people know who Bob Marley is. They don't know who the Beatles are. They don't necessarily know who Lady Gaga is in a slum in Kenya or in, in Indonesia or in happened in new guinea people know who bob marley is because he speaks to them about things that they understand and he comes from the developing world you know he's the only icon of 20th century music, who actually had a properly poor third world background he grew up sleeping on in, in, a, in a in a hut with sleeping on the ground you know that makes him totally different and that's why he's so important he's the most influential musician of the 20th century by far
0: I must admit i found the last two and a half shows the hardest to edit in the whole series and I'm more than happy that they are behind me. Though as hard as they've been to edit and to compile, they've been highly enjoyable to be a part of. Very quickly, if you want to follow us, we are at HowJamaica on Twitter or you can follow me personally where I'm at Royfield, spelt R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D. Also, the Facebook page is starting to get a little bit of traction. On Facebook, we are facebook.com forward slash HowJamaica. So a special hi to Paul Forbes, who asked how to get his mix. Quite simply, all you need to do to get a free mix from us is say, I listen to the podcasts on either Facebook or on Twitter. So anyone can do that. Simply message us and say, I listen to the podcasts. Give me an email address and I'll send you a mix for you to be able to download free of charge. A special hi to Wilfred Emmanuel Jones, the black farmer, who messaged us through Facebook asking how he could be part of the project. Very lastly, if you want to email me personally, I'm royfield at gmail.com. Again, that's R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D at gmail.com. See you all next week.